Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones DDS. We're part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today is Luke Wyatt. We will talk about Vanderbilt's 26-game SEC losing streak, the toll it's taken, how it got here, how to get out of it, and really get into the talent. I think that's been a big issue lately is, is this a talent or a coaching issue? We talk about that and give you some reasons to support our opinions there. Luke appears on the guest line. That's presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael is a local carpenter and a lifelong Vanderbilt fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, made-to-order items, including a display case for my prized Dale Murphy jersey. I've seen Michael's work. He's a true craftsman. If you're in the market for custom woodwork, give Michael a call. That number is 615-830-9458. Now on to our podcast with Luke Wyatt. Luke Wyatt joins us. He was a Vanderbilt Athletics employee for about 40 years. He knows the program, its history, better than anyone. He is very well connected there. Luke, first of all, thank you for joining us. Second of all, big congratulations to you. You missed part of the game because you were being inducted into the Cheatham County Sports Hall of Fame, and congratulations on that. Thank you. It was an honor. It's uh, uh, very unexpected. I got a call <clears throat> a year ago, actually, is when they do these things. And uh, the head of the committee was a guy named Tim Ray, and he came and visited the house, looked at all my memorabilia. We talked about my days in Cheatham County, and uh, I was the first broadcaster to broadcast football and basketball games there. And uh, was able. To, they were actually in the state championship at Vanderbilt, ironically, uh, when I was doing it in 1983. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it was a. Uh, it was just a neat night. Uh, I hate that I missed part of the game, but it was. It was worth it, and I, I'm very honored. And thank you for bringing it up. From what you saw of the game, what did you take away? Well, I watched. We're back. Watched the first half yesterday. I, I got there with like five minutes to go in the half. It was right after, I think, uh, when did AJ get the, I'm lost a little bit here. Right, I think at the end of the second quarter. That's when I I, I, got there. Okay, so um, honestly, turnovers, number one, we have no chance to beat anybody when you turn the ball over like that. Can't do it. That's the first thing. Uh, It doesn't matter. If we have a good team or if we're in the, the throes of what we're in right now, you're not going to win when you turn the football over at Vanderbilt. Um, secondly, I, I felt like there were some plays to be made that they leave on the field. The uh, that, that scrum-looking thing where they got the guy down and he takes off with a long run. You know, stuff like that can't happen. That's inexcusable. I don't give anybody an out on that stuff. Uh, I do think that, again – as I've said before, I think we're we're slow in the secondary, especially. Sometimes we still take bad angles. And, and most of those times, I will say this, there was a couple of instances that I noticed in the second half where we had a, 
we had to play in front of the sticks to, to, to force them to punt on fourth down. And then we have the angle to make a tackle and just don't make it. Now, most of the time that's freshman. Now, is it just, but by this time, I've always been in CM Newton, you say this in basketball. After about the middle of the season, you're no longer a freshman. Well, I kind of feel that way in football. After you played six or seven games, um, you're no longer a freshman. <clears throat> so I, I, those excuses are, are going to go by the wayside. You should be a better football player after doing it for eight, 10, 12 straight weeks. Uh, <clears throat> besides that, I'm excited about 500 yards of offense. You know, you look at you have to look at the positives as well. I know it's hard to do it when you've lost 25 or 26 in a row, whatever it is. Uh, Clark hadn't lost that many in a row. He's lost 10 or whatever it is. So I, I don't, you know, you have to separate it. I know you don't want to, but because we've lost so many, but this is just a year and a half for Clark. And uh, we all knew, we, we talked about it. And I think Las Vegas said our over under it two and a half, didn't they? And we're at three wins. I felt like we'd win one conference game this year. Still could, but the chances are getting tougher each week. Yeah, I think their best chance has sailed. I mean, Kentucky's not an awful matchup. I think that game could be close. Uh, Florida's getting better. T- Tennessee, I mean, that's that's going to be ugly. Um, look, I, by, by the way, I think I think 500 was South Carolina's number. I think it was 493. Vandy, I think, was in the 450s. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they've gotten better. The offensive line's gotten better. Uh, they did it with Swan out for half the game. So that's a positive. Right. Um, yeah. did, didn't really understand why they didn't feature Mike Wright more in a running role or go to Ken Seals. That's that's another thing we can maybe get into. But, um, yeah, well, let, let's, let's go there. And then I've got some other things I want to bring up. Okay. You, you know, uh, yeah, Mike running the football, he did run it at times. But I agree with you. I think there could be a little bit more of that. Um, and not seeing Ken, you know, Ken never even took the headsets off. So he, it's almost like he knows he's not going in. I do not have any knowledge of that. I can't shed any light on why that is that way. But now, in my opinion, and I'm just giving you an opinion, this is no one telling me anything. I'm not sure A.J. Swan will be back. So you better have a second quarterback ready come Saturday. Uh, and to me, that has to be Ken. So, you know. Moving forward, Ken's going to wind up getting snaps because we have three games left against physical football teams, and there's probably going to be a time or two when Mike's got to come out of the game. Yeah, we're doing this Monday morning. I'm hearing some talk that Swan may not play again this year. Well, that wasn't surprising. The reason being, um, I have a ton of, I worked with our head trainer, Tom Bossing, and I also worked with, uh, his, his name is, escaping me now he's now in the nfl and he works as a uh, uh a doctor that talks you may have to cut this i'm chopping up here but anyway he's the head doctor for concussions in the nfl he oversees all that he was at Van- he's from vanderbilt anyway i worked with him on a uh a study and when the concussions occur close together you almost have to shut them down i don't know the specific rule that Vanderbilt goes by of the protocol, but I would I would be surprised if he's back. Yeah, I mean it's man. My board's a depressing place right now, and I'm not I'm not 
yeah. throwing that on the posters on the board. I mean, it just is. Uh, and I don't it know is. how it and couldn't be. It is. When you, you know, when you lose like we did at Missouri, and you lose basically a, what could have been a, easily a one-score game to South Carolina, when you play so poorly and you still have a chance to win that, actually, I mean, we did, technically. I mean, we, yeah, we lost about 11 points, but I, there's not that much difference in us in South Carolina. Talent-wise on the back end, I feel like that's where our biggest problem is. Obviously, no pass yeah. rush when you're having to play walk-ons and stuff like that still, you, you can't. You're not going to win the SEC doing that. You're just not. So you got to stack another class onto it. And he, and the people that want to say it's coaching, I'm sorry, you're way off. We've had plenty of good coaches at Vanderbilt, folks. And we've had a lot of seasons that are like this. So it ain't, it's, you can't let it to put a coaches all the time. There's times when you can when you keep a coach too long and so forth. But right now, there's there's so many holes that he's sticking his finger in the dike and then something else springs up, whether it be something ancillary to football, which we did have this past week, or football injuries or whatever it may be. And at Vanderbilt, you're already starting right now until you stack some classes together, your talent level and your speed. You know, I ran into one of our former players in the bridge Saturday night, and we were talking about it at halftime, and he said, Luke, he goes, we're so slow. We're so slow. And, you know, this is a former player. So, you know, I, and I agree with that. We, we've got to get better, stronger, faster. As Woody Woodenhofer used to say, got to get bigger, stronger, and faster. <laughs> you know, there was, there's been some kind of narrative that those were evenly matched teams. I don't agree with it. And for people that think this team is in a, in a spot where it's just ready to break out, I'm just like, I, I think you're misevaluating oh. the talent. Uh, look, they, they at one point, I don't know if this was all together or not, but I was watching their defensive line rotation at times. I, I think they were playing Nate Clifton and Nick Rinaldi on the edge. Nick Rinaldi is a walk-on. Yeah. I'm not kidding. A freshman walk-on who started playing football a year ago. He's a really good athlete. Uh, he ran right. about what Mike Wright did in the 100 meters in, in high school, and I think he's got some, some burst. He was a 210-pound linebacker a year ago. Now he's a 230-pound defensive end playing football for the first time. I mean, they, they are – I'm not talking about playing like one snap at the end of the game and a kneel down. I'm talking about like he was playing in the second half when the game was on the line. The other end was yep. Nate Clifton, who nobody was recruiting. Uh, and, and I love Nate and his family, so this is not throwing shade on Nate. In fact, I think Nate has made more of his career than, than anybody would have imagined. He's been a starter for a couple of years. Pro Football Focus yeah. has given him probably the best grade of Andy's lineman the last two years. Nate was a kid who had no scholarship offers in Division One, and the teams that were looking at him were looking at him as an offensive lineman. That's who they were starting on the edges. Inside, they had Miles yeah. Cecil playing a lot of snaps. Uh, Cecil's given them some things. He was playing at Cal Poly a year ago. That's not even one of the 131 division, or, or now we call them um, – FBS teams, and I can't remember who the other lineman was, but it wasn't anybody notable. They're just, I mean, I don't know what else to to tell people. I don't either, and, you know, like you said, the story with Rinaldi, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that happens at a junior college or it happens at a a small school, NAI-type school, Division III-type school, and you're trying to do that in the Southeastern Conference. That's, I mean, that's, you can't do it. 
And, and that's what I, that's why people don't understand how a coach can come in. Now, I understood, understand this. If you came in and you had the cupboard was not bare like it was, and, and, and I have said this, of course, before, it was the barest cupboard that we've ever had. So you're talking about starting at almost zero. People, I, I saw someone on the board the other day complain about 40 players have left Vanderbilt. And that's a negative? That's not a negative. Most of it, I don't think that the staff wanted, right? Exactly. You've got to clean up your problems in the locker room. It's not just football. It's not just X's and O's. It's not just coaching. There's so many things that go into the daily, you know, if the kid's late for meetings, if he doesn't show up for treatment on time, if he doesn't lift when he's supposed to lift, show up for a lift. He has excuses about being sick when he's really not sick. There's so many things that go into that. And you have to fight through that as a coach. And that's where it's tough when you're in the middle of your second year. And I told Clark this, your second year is going to be harder than your first year. I didn't necessarily mean wins and losses, but there's more challenges as you start digging into this and burrowing through all the problems that you've got. And I'm not trying to make excuses for Clark. I'd make excuses for him if it was Joe Blow as the new coach. It's just a fact. And you just, you just brought out some excellent points on that defensive line. And by the way, they weren't horrible. You know what I mean? They're doing the best they can. A kid like Nate Clifton, yeah. if you're a Vanderbilt fan, you ought to be on your feet clapping for a kid like that, not degrading him. I mean, that's that, and I understand the frustration of the fans. I totally do. Saying, we're that, we're this, we're that. That's just frustration. It's human nature. We all do it. I get it. But when you step back after the game and look at it from 30,000 feet, you got to realize, we're not close yet. Next year, I think, and I've told you this, I think the other night when we were speaking, I think we'll win one or two conference games next year, for sure. I really feel that way. I think that one more class will get them to the point to where there's some execution out there that we can get to that. We don't start the season with Alabama, Georgia, and them. We start next year with Kentucky and Missouri. I'd almost bet my pinky finger that we'll get one of those. Both I of them just, lose their I, quarterbacks, I, by the way. Right. And then you've got an Auburn who is going to have a new coach. So, and uh, you know, you, you don't play Alabama next year. Uh, you don't have to play that gauntlet again. And you also still get two weeks off. So I, I feel, uh, you know, I know this year is going to be tough again. Uh, and I felt three or four wins would have been four. Four wins was my goal personally if I just had to throw it out there. So still got a small chance to do that, but uh, like you said, the window's closing. Okay, here's a smattering of, of things I want to hit you with uh, before we move on to the mailbag. Sure. Um, speed. Ray, by the way, hats off to Ray Davis. Had a terrific game. I oh, said in our practice reports, and I went to every single practice in fall camp, which I would think was 19 or 20. And Ray Davis, I, th- I thought, was hands down their best offensive player in camp. The, right. the, the difference in their defense and the defenses they're facing. By the way, I was surprised South Carolina was not good at all on the edges, but but better no. than Vandy. But here's what I said. Ray Davis, you would see Ray Davis break off. I remember he broke off a 90-yard run in one practice. Um, you, you saw some 50 or more. Davis not a breakaway back. 
a breakaway run for Ray Davis might get you 20. Uh, he's good at getting you maybe 5 to 12 at a time. If Ray Davis was playing Vandy's defense, um, he's going to go well over 200. I mean, the, the difference is a lot of times, like you watch a hole open and you're like, okay, the, their back is about to get, Vandy's back is about to get, I don't know, maybe eight, nine yards. And then you see teams just have speed on the edges and they close it. Next thing you know, it's three. Same play opens for another team, and it goes for right. 11. Uh, that's that's the yep. difference. I don't know why people are having trouble processing that, this idea that they are on the same level of talent with other teams. And look, I do think I have some issues with coaching. Their tackling's been awful. I don't understand why, and I'm not a football expert, okay? I, I made that clear. I didn't play. I didn't coach. But when I watch the game, Common Sense tells me the way they close the gap in that Missouri game is they pressure Brady Cook. Spencer Rattler's been the worst quarterback in the league. He's been awful. Yeah. Uh, but he looked pretty good. He had three touchdowns, no picks, and they threw another touchdown on a gadget play that didn't involve him. And that's because Vanderbilt was right. not getting anybody in his face. And then, you know, on the back end, I guess you could say, well, if you blitz, you leave you guys in single coverage. I've seen so many passes completed between – two and three defenders uh, that, that I just don't think it matters almost whether they're single covered or double covered at times your chances to get pressure I think on the quarterback they didn't get that on Rattler uh, they're not going to get it with their defensive line we just went over that but anyway that that's a lot and then I've got some other things well and I'll bring I'll use two plays as examples of what you're speaking to and and you talk, you talk. This is really talking about the speed, but it's also talking about the angles you take. And there, there again, you're talking about coaching. When is it that a freshman takes the right angle? When is it he steps up and makes the right play? And I'm not going to name names, but this kid has the ability. He's, he's a very. You can tell he's going to be a good football player. But there was a play the other night when you know we we can't get off the field on third down. That's the biggest problem. Well, if you notice, there's a lot of times we get guys, teams to third and long, and we just can't get off the field. And that's right. because we still play soft. We still play back because we know they can run by us. We know that. The coaches know that. The fans know that. And they, and they do anyway. And they do. That's what I'm saying. So what do you, you pick your poison. You want them to score in 10 seconds, or you want to hope that they throw an incompletion, or maybe you're able to make a break on the ball, bat it away or something. But that play, there was a play the other night, getting back to what, my, what I was saying, there was a play the other night where we have stopped on a third and nine or ten. We got the angle on the tackle. It's going to be fourth and five, and they punt it to us. And at that time, it was a ten-point game. If we make that play, who knows? We go down and cut it to seven or three, and you got a shot. And then the other play in the end zone, which a lot, I think it's a, uh, maybe a fourth down there, or maybe they had just gotten the first down. I can't remember. You'll remember the play. The, the kid just goes up over us. We're defending it. We're where we're supposed to be defensively. And the guy just out-athletes us. Yeah. Just jump and catches it. You know, I, those two plays signify where we are athletically. And I'm not knocking those kids. They're doing the best they can. It's not like they're loafing. You know, there's a chart that coaches use on loafs. I don't see that. And that's the thing that Clark and those coaches should be very happy about because I've seen some teams, not just Vanderbilt, a lot of teams that loaf, that are super talented teams that loaf, and if they were playing as hard as they could be, 
it would look like Georgia's defense. Our kids aren't loping. They're not quitting on these guys. And that's huge. That's huge. They just don't have quick twitch athletes. They don't have many on either side of the ball. On defense, they've got Anthony Orgy. That might be it. Now, I think they're a little faster, but one of the touchdowns Carolina scored was on a gadget play. They throw the ball across the field about 50. There's three guys there that could have made the play. Their guy just puts on the move, and and really he won that in, in the first two steps after he caught the ball. He made a move. At that point, they didn't have the the quick twitch to react and the speed to run him down, and, and that's just what they're up against. Let me ask you this, Chris. I always like to ask you one question a week, and I'm going to give you this one and let you think about it. How much, because I've seen it in basketball before, you know, we always talk about how every team seems like they shoot well in Memorial Gym. How much is it that when a team comes to play us, they look in the stands and they've got half the crowd at least, the confidence level that the Vincent team brings in that they normally wouldn't. How much yeah. of it factors that? How much does I that mean, factor? It's, it's, it's got, it's gotta be a factor. I mean, I think it's a factor. You know, I, it's a factor in NFL games, right? I mean, these are pro athletes and if two teams are evenly matched, the, the team that is playing at home is going to get three points. Some of that's officiating. I wonder sometimes and I think I've said this on the show before, if they're not better playing on the road, because you at least you expect to be in the minority. And and you look, you know it at this point if you're Vanderbilt, but there's just something so demoralizing about looking up and seeing your stands taken over by other teams' fans. And at least on the road, that's a built-in expectation. Well, I can tell you for from experience, our kids love playing on the road better. And and, and they didn't blame Vanderbilt fans. They understood the dynamics that there's not a big fan base and that Nashville has a lot more to offer and people have other choices. I've even had players tell me, man, you know, if I was going to go to the Vanderbilt-Elon game or I had a chance to go downtown and have some kind of party or something, I might go to it instead. So they understand those dynamics. But at the same time, and I, and I go back to when James Franklin was here and he was winning games. I, I go back to the Wake Forest game we were playing after we'd beaten Tennessee and we still don't have a good crowd. And James Franklin turned to me and said, Luke, what the hell you got to do around here? I said, keep putting them back to back to back. You got to keep winning. You got to keep winning. And that's hard to do. When, you know, which comes first, chicken or the egg? No one else has to do this. That's the other thing. No one else has to go through what Vanderbilt has to go through in the Southeastern Conference. Now, I know Duke, Wake Forest, Northwestern, they face the same problems. Did you happen to see the stadium with the Northwestern Ohio State game? How many Northwestern I did not. fans Ohio State were there? It was Ohio was State. Was it the same deal? Yeah. It's the same stuff. You know, there may have been 10,000 Northwestern, and I don't know how much it holds up there, probably 40, about like Vanderbilt, maybe a little bigger. The rest of it was Ohio State. So, there again, Northwestern played them well for half, but then when the Ohio State crowd gets into it, you're basically playing on the road again. Is this a tough yeah, deal for I, private school? It is. It's a well, and, and it's a tough deal for the fans, too. I mean, like I it said, I, I think the levels of demoral – and I think basketball has hurt it, too. The fact that basketball has not been decent until last year, right. and decent is as far as I would go. 
Um, right. I think you're looking at another NIT type season this year if you can get enough wins in conference, which I think is going to be an issue. Tonight will tell us more. We're doing this Monday morning, the basketball game with Memphis right. is tonight. But I mean, look, I've done this podcast since 2015, Luke. Yeah. The team's, tw- the team's 10 and 53 in the SEC. And the year before that, it was 0 8. Well, I mean, you you may have taken over at the worst time. <laughs> One of the worst times in federal history uh, for sports, that's for sure. Because we well, were just coming off yeah. some of the best times in federal history, if you look at it. I mean, we've won five national championships since the turn of the century. We didn't have any before that. But from 15 on, it's steadily declined. Our website turns 20 years old in January, and I'll probably – do a couple of podcasts just as a retrospective and looking back. And I remember, but I'll, I'll tell you something here. Mike Rapp, our photographer, I think right. he saw this coming in 24. I remember we were talking, I think it was after the Tennessee game on the street and he'd been getting, kind of getting burned out on it for different reasons. And I think he saw it coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, he used to be a part of it. He's just like, I'm done. You can have it. And I think it was a great right. choice for him. I mean, I, I wonder sometimes if I should have, done the same thing it's just been so exhausting that was that was just coming off the baseball national title at that point but the drag that's football and the way that basketball has turned is just it's just made it I find myself writing and podcasting less because I only have so many words to go around at some point right and 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 Chris here's the thing I wouldn't be doing this with you if I didn't care and that's the biggest problem apathy apathy and that's the, that's that's the problem dude. a lot of my friends a lot of former players <clears throat> want to care they want to care but until they see i know that we've got the 300 million or 40 million whatever until they actually see something that's <laughs> a shovel in the ground whatever it may be they've got to you got to see something just talking about it doesn't help anymore. It's falls on deaf ears, and I get that. I totally get that. Uh, yeah, you know, I agree. I, I think I think that's where they made one of their biggest mistakes: not fast tracking this construction project. I mean, at least if you're there and you see something being torn down, or say they had. I mean, I, there's no reason they couldn't have built something in that other end zone by now. You know this as well as I know. And, and Texas A&M well, isn't, isn't the only team. To, Texas A&M, they had a stadium renovation that's more complicated probably than all the stuff Fanny's going to do. They started it, I think, the morning after the end of the season a few years ago, and it was complete by the start of the next season. And, and I get that you got priorities out of whack at some other SEC schools and stuff, but, I mean, that dorm that, cast, that just about casts a shadow on the stadium, that, that wasn't even on the drawing board you know, 25 talks ago about stadium renovations. And and here we sit, you know, I I remember clear as day getting a phone call back in in 2018 by somebody who would know, hey, guy, I'm just going to tell you it's about to change right away. You know, I know people need to have patience, I know, but it's about to change. And they've, they've got nothing in the ground that was promised to me in that phone call. What was it now? 51 months ago. Well, and I said this, and I was halfway joking, but I was halfway serious. If nothing else, just park a crane out there. Right. Park a crane 
tore down Parmer, just park a crane there, and people think, well, okay, they're doing something. There's a crane. <laughs> I mean, and who gets the blame for that? I'm not singling out Candace. I'm not saying Daniel Deermeyer, but who gets the blame for that? Is it the Board of Trust? Is it athletics? I don't know. Maybe I'm stupid, but I don't know exactly who you point the finger at. Well, nobody, nobody over there has really. I mean, I, I say that Daniel Deermeyer is, is, I think, been over backwards to push for football, but nobody has pushed yeah. aggressively in the way that James did. That's what they don't have. That they, they don't have a guy right. that will not take no for an answer and say, "Look, look, look at the record. We, we've got to have something right now to impl- improve morale." That, that person, I just don't think over there exists because that's how you make it at Vandy. Um, that that's how you you know one one of the reasons Stackhouse got a contract extension that I I mean and Stackhouse is about to get some nice stuff. Jerry plays nice with people over there, gets along, doesn't make a lot of demands of people. Um, I just I, I they need they need a jerk over there, and I don't know that they've got one. You're you're right to to this to this point. I, I look at that, but I also look at this. Let's look at what Tim Corbin did. He did and and. You you may remember this, Chris. Our baseball program. I love Roy Mubern, and he. But Roy Mubern was fighting uh, again. He was fighting with a toothpick against a, a machete in baseball. He had nothing facility wise, nothing budget wise. His salary was nothing. I can tell you that. I, Roy may not want me to say that person, but he he was the lo- lowest paid Southeastern Conference baseball coach tenfold. Okay, so they were doing nothing for baseball. It didn't even exist. You had 200 people at SEC games. So when Tim Corbin come in, he, you know, I understand the stadium and all that, but Tim took the bull by the horns. He did win early. We had that big weekend series when we beat Tennessee the first year, and things just took off when you get David Price and Pedro Gonzalez. So Pedro Alvarez. So that that type of thing has to happen as well in football. We got to, you know, whether it's a transfer portal guy somehow land a four- or five-star quarterback, whatever it may be. Something like that has to also spark the fan base. I watched football games yesterday, and you can go to and, – and this is comparing the NFL, and, and this may be a little bit different, but it's not really. Khalil Mack makes a play against uh, whoever they were playing. He makes an incredible football play. And I'm thinking, those people there, there's a bunch of Khalil Mack jerseys in the crowd. We haven't had that in football since Jay Cutler was at Vanderbilt. Yeah. When you see a certain jersey in the crowd, you don't. There's nothing there to spark it until we stack classes and get a talent base. And until then, we're going to have to suffer. And I hate it. Gosh, I hate it. And I certainly, certainly hate it for those kids and for the long-suffering fans. And I'm not trying to be a smart aleck here, but the young fans that complain, listen, get in the back of the line. You've got, you know, yeah, you may have suffered these last five years, but a lot of people have suffered for 40 out of the last 45. Yeah, I mean, I was I was talking to a, a good friend of mine after one of the games here this year. Um, and I won't, I won't name names, but – and this guy is his capital J journalist as it comes. He, he does not get emotionally involved with his team. Right. And, and I look, I sit there and I cover, and I, I write what I have to write. I don't – like if, if Vanderbilt loses a game or wins a game, it doesn't affect my weekend. I've I've got a job to do. Sure. Um, sure. Well, I mean, I say, but I mean, here's the thing. And I asked this guy because I just said, hey, 
you you've seen what I cover. You've seen the stadium. You know what the losing streak is. What how if you were on this beat, what would that be like for you? And he said it'd be depressing. And I was I was a little surprised to hear him say it because then again he doesn't he doesn't care whether the team he covers wins or not. Um. Right. I mean, I, I, I say, I think we all want the teams we to cover to win a little bit because it's easier well, it's that easier. way. People are less mad. You, you get more subs. Sure. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's, but, but I think he was being as honest as he could be. I mean, he, and he would tell you the same thing. He, he's told me, Hey, I'm, I'm rooting for a winning season here because it'll, it'll do this and that. But I mean, just from a, put that aside, that's how you got to look at it. But to hear him say that, I think that really hit home with me. Well, I, I, and, and the difference, Chris, for, with your situation and what where I come from, I, it was more than the games to me because I got to know the kids personally. And I know you've got yeah. to know some parents kids personally, too. So there has to be a little bit in there that hurts from you from a kid's standpoint. Oh, yeah. All, yeah. You know what I mean? I do. That's I do. And go I ahead. I think that's what keeps going. I'll be honest with you. You may not agree with me, but I think that's what kept, has kept you going. As you know, that for the most part, a bunch of great kids, some great families over there, that they're not to blame for this, to where we're at. Who's to blame for it within that ivory tower over on campus? That's who's to blame for this, where they, for some reason, had their nose in the air and said, athletics aren't that important. And that's who's well, to blame for it. Yeah. I feel bad for Clark. I really like Clark. I, I don't make a secret of it. You root for good people in this business, whether it's the yeah, school you cover or, or other schools. You do. I mean, you need you need that in athletics. You see, you see what it looks like when that's not there. When priorities get out of whack, you, you need good people to succeed in sports. I think I've said this on the pod. I used to sit when Clark was playing. I used to sit with his dad who's about the nicest guy in the world. I still see Absolutely. his dad from time to time. I've got I've got a job to do. That includes saying and writing things. I you know, you don't always want to write. You don't like to write uncomplimentary things ab- about good people or where they screw this up or that up, but it's it's the job. But yeah, when when you deal with people and you see them in the eye and and you know what kind of people they are, and nobody's perfect. And I think Clark does get some pushback for being a nice guy. Clark's got Clark's got that other side to him too. I mean, Clark is a guy that dismissed kids from the team that would have, I, th- I think at other times, you know, that wouldn't have gotten much more than a yawn in some other places. And you can judge Clark on that either way, but he's trying to run a program the way he wants to run it and the way he feels like he needs to run it. And, then they it's his call. He knows when he kicks good players off the team, that's going to hurt him. Um, so I'm not sitting here saying Clark's too nice of a guy to win. Now I think that line has been drawn other places, but but, but the but, point is, yeah, I, I think that I think that's the thing that made it. And that that whole press conference afterwards too took on a life of its own for different reasons. We're not going to get into, and you you can't help but walk out and feel bad for a guy under those circumstances. Listen. And I, 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 everyone knows how I feel about Clark. I know his dad and his mom both. They both are in the bridge with me, up near me. And I will tell you this. 
his father is as good a person as my dad was almost. And that's, you know, how you look at your own father. Dr. Lee's an exceptional person. His mother's a great person. Clark takes on the personality of his mama. His daddy will tell you that. That's where he gets his toughness is his mother. I would much rather him have, go to Vanderbilt and become a good citizen because the sport, as you know, in four years or five years, that that's probably over with your athletic career. Then you're a, a citizen and you're a contributor to, to society. That's what I'm talking about. And you have to look at that and you got to care. If you're a Vanderbilt fan, number one, you better have that in your hip pocket where you think, and I'm not saying as an excuse for losing, but saying is, look, at the end of the day, yeah, he's had a tough experience here, but he, uh, you've, I've had so many kids tell me, Luke, I loved my experience at Vanderbilt, even though we didn't win as many games as I wanted because of the people, the coaches I had, and the way I came out on the far end of things because it's a three-hour thing that happens on Saturdays. And if people don't understand that and you say, well, I don't care, uh, I want to win games, it ain't that simple to me. Maybe it is to you. And if that's the case, just watch pro sports. Don't even watch college football. If you don't think if, – if, if it's not, no longer college football or college athletics, so you quit watching it. Just watch the NFL. Then you don't care what those guys do in their spare time. It doesn't matter. They're a finished product. But these are kids when they first get to Vanderbilt. And that's why I'm proud of having a coach like Tim Corbin a coach like Clark Lee and other coaches that are over there that no one ever talks about because they're sports that people don't care about. That's fine. But I'm sorry to get on soapbox, but I, you know, that's the thing that drives me nuts. How you want to support a guy like, you know, in the media and Chris, I don't, I don't mean this on you, but the media puts a guy like Tony Vitale on a pedestal. This is the kind of guy you want. No, it isn't. You can win other ways. John Wooden showed you that. That that's the part that really makes you sick. And like you said, it makes you it makes it tough. And you feel for a guy like Clark. I'd feel for any coach in his position right now. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend Dr. Jody Jones DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. I'm just amazed we've been able to make 37 minutes of original, somewhat original content <laughs> before we've gotten to the mailbag. Um, I, I didn't know we'd get five minutes in, it, it, honestly, because it's just the same thing every week. But um, I, I'm going to read you the last two paragraphs I wrote. I do the Lindy's preview every day in the magazine, or every day. That boy, that would be okay. a nightmare. Every year um, for their annual, I'm, I'm sitting here holding it. I'm going to read you the last two paragraphs, and I, again, I think this is where 
I don't know how it's gotten kind of twisted. I mean, if, if you want to pick some bones with the coaches, that's fine. I, I, I have my own bones to pick at times. But sure. that, that's not the big problem. It, it's it's this. And, and I, this is the last two paragraphs of what I wrote in the opening section, which is the overview. The improvement in speed this spring was palpable. Still, that comes from mostly first and second year players. The doors haven't made a corresponding jump in improving the talent in the trenches, although certainly that will be a heavy recruiting priority. Better days should be ahead, but with improvement coming mostly from young players and a brutal schedule ahead, it'll probably be probably be at least a year before seeing significant improvement in the win column. I wrote that in May or June, uh, May. Um, and, and if if you still don't see it that way, I'm at the point I don't know what to tell people. No, that's perfect, and if and if you are logical everyone would see it that way take take it don't don't even say you're a Vanderbilt fan just say you're a football fan a college football fan that's watching kids practice or play you can see that everyone can see that that Vanderbilt's at least another year away at least maybe you know when George McIntyre took over he won one he won two he won four he won eight that's what I see that we are doing here same type of thing. And I'll be the first to stand up and take the stake in the heart if by year five we're not going to a bowl game or year four not having a chance to go to a bowl game in the last week or two. Let's get to the mailbag if you're ready. Let me get a sip of water and I'm ready. All right. Well, I'll do the read while you're doing that. The mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, please give Taylor or Russell a call at number 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. There was a question about A.J. Swan to start it. I think we've answered that. So let's go to this one. And I, I have I have bones to pick with a question, and I will give you some things that illustrate that. But I will let you hit it first. Believe 22, I don't think we have a talent gap rep relative to Missouri or South Carolina. Why can't we win those games 0-4 over two years? Well, uh, respectfully, I disagree. We do have a talent gap still. Um, and you saw that Saturday night, what we just talked about. Um, there are plays to be made. We don't make them, whether it's bad angles. Um, Speed, lack of speed, or again, the, the, the quick twitch athlete, it's not showing up yet, or they're still freshmen and they're not fully developed yet. I think that's where we're at. We're not, we're not talent-wise as good. If you can get 490 yards, 470 yards, whatever we got, there, that's improvement. Scoring 28 points in a conference game, that's not bad. It's, you know, there are some improvements. It's slight. That's the problem. It's slight. It isn't good enough to win yet, and that's the frustrating part. Yeah, I mean, look, let me let me just take Missouri for example. Okay, Missouri's got Luther Bird in the third. He was what a, the number two or three recruit in the country as a freshman. He scored two touchdowns against Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt didn't have anybody like him on offense. Um, the the defense. I mean, there's not an Ennis Rakestraw in the back seven or the back back six, whatever. Um, yes. Dr- Drain is a good football player. Very good. Yeah, Chris Abrams drains a really good football player. They don't have a 
I guess they classify him as a defensive lineman. I thought he was a linebacker. They don't have anybody as good as Tyrone Hopper. Um, I mean, I, I could just go on and on. They, I mean, you look at where Missouri got some of its players. Missouri got some kids from the portal from some really, really good schools where they'd played before. I just think that, yeah, Vanderbilt made that game look even. Could could Vanderbilt have won the game with some better coaching decisions? Sure. Um, I think that I, I didn't understand what Vanderbilt was doing with Mike Wright. I think it should have run him. Mike, Mike just cannot pass well enough to lead you to wins in this league. I didn't understand that. I think you saw in the second half they should have been bringing more pressure. They did that in the second half. It worked. You have the first half to do over again, and maybe they did, and this is revisionist history. But I'm not saying I don't have qualms with the, the coaching calls at times. But, yeah, I mean, if you and I are sitting there and, and, and we're like doing a draft between Vanderbilt and Missouri or Vanderbilt and South Carolina for that matter, and we know all the rosters and we pick players – Players on other teams, even the worst teams in the league, are going to come off the board disproportionately to Vanderbilt players. I mean, if I'm sitting there, I'm going, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this draft and I'll make sure I'm going to get this guy. My list is probably Will Shepard. It's probably Anthony Orgy. Um, if he's on the board at a certain point, it, it may, may be Jalen Mahoney or C.J. Taylor. Um, certainly, if you're if you're running a – Dynasty League college football team, you'd love to have A.J. Swan on your team. You'd like Ray right. Davis at some point, but he's not a, a probably a top 15 guy off the board or top 10. I, I just think, no, think sometimes that people are able to look at the rosters objectively and look at these guys' movements in short areas. Look at the physicality on the defensive line. It's not the same. No, and I'll give you a perfect example of that. Uh, Quincy Skinner, who played well the other night, played better, and he started doing something that most good and great receivers do. They let the pursuit go by them, and then they take off. He did that the other night. He hadn't been doing that. He'd been taking the ball as soon as you catch it, take off running straight forward. A lot of times, your best move is to stand there or take a half step back, let the pursuit go by you, then you got seven yards in front of you. So uh, that's just part of getting better as an athlete and repetition. And I agree with you. Listen, we're still – the gap there is from Georgia to the next best team in the SEC, we're probably yes. bottom forward. You know what I I've mean? thought the same thing. I, I think the gap between Tennessee and Georgia and the gap is, is the same as the gap between Vandy and, and Carolina. And, I mean, look, and look if they play A&M, A&M is probably the – you know, the third worst team in the league right now, maybe the second worst. A and M signed just an epic recruiting class, hey, and, and Chris, it takes a while. Let me stop you there on that. What I want to ask our our board this, and see if I can get some response from it. What do you think Clark Lee's record would be at Texas A and M this year? Oh man, that that's a good okay. one. Think of, let's think about that. And you've got a coach that's making a hundred million dollars or whatever they pay Jimbo, so it, it can go sour <laughs> at a lot of places. Texas A&M has the best facilities in the Southeastern Conference. You know, we want to talk about facilities and stuff. Look what if that, if I'm a fan of Texas A&M, I'm really irate at coaches. 
Now, I know they had a lot of guys out with the flu or whatever it may be, but they didn't the, the previous five losses or four losses. How in the world Texas A&M can't win? It's like what Tennessee went through for 15 years until Heifel got there, and they've had this great season this year. If I was a Tennessee fan, I'd been so mad at all the money they spend up there and trying to, to, to win football games and what Vanderbilt's administration has done in the past to hurt Vanderbilt's chances to win football games. And you're 5-5 five and five against Tennessee in the last 10 years. Yeah. The Superior asks, when do you feel we will turn the corner and win against this level of competition, i.e. the teams ranked 25 to 50? Uh, consistently, that's going to be a couple more years. But can you, can you do it? Knock one of them off or two of them off? Yeah, I think next year is the year we win one or two conference games. I think two. I'm just going to throw that number out there because I think that's what's going to happen. Um, and I think we'll win at least three of our non-conference and we'll be there at five wins. Will everyone be happy with that? No, because there's going to be probably a game where we don't coach well or we don't play well. We turn it over and they're going to be like, well, if we'd have done that, we'd be in a bowl. That's that's just fandom. That's just being a, a good fan or being a fan. I get that, but I think that's where we're at. Harley Hogg says, we're in the SEC. Nashville is a great city to have an SEC program dedicated to winning. The other schools have set up winning as a standard. We are always behind with some plan. <clears throat> Excuse me. Ten years, stadium, et cetera. Why don't they wake up? What's it going to take? It's a shame seeing lower Broadway full and an empty stadium on the TV broadcast. Win, 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 win. That's it. I mean, there's nothing that can change that. And even at that, you know, one of the sweetest things I've seen, and I, I hate being emotional, but I am today for some reason. We're walking out of the stadium. You know, when you're on the bridge, you have to wait a while for the elevator. So there's probably just a few people left in the stadium, period. I see a, a father with his young son all decked out in bandy. And this is what gave me hope. They get off the elevator with us, and the little boy says, Daddy, Let's run down and get closer to the field where I can see the field. So there's hope. <laughs> and I think to myself, you know, think how happy that kid would be when he can go to school on Monday and be able to brag about his football team winning. Right now, he still loves them. And, you know, he isn't spoiled by all the losing and being callous by all of it. So, you know, it gives me hope for the future. I, I, and Vanderbilt needs to do a much better job I'll say that today I challenge Candace, I challenge Daniel, I challenge everybody in that department. Do something better to cultivate the fan base at least. I don't care if you have to give tickets away to, to events, to get young people in there to watch them. Yeah, the, the, the ticketing plan, we've hit on that several times. That, that's got to be an off-season point of emphasis. Because they, they still have not done anything with that, and it, that's been an issue for – I don't even know how long. But anyway, J2M, Kentucky, Florida, Tennessee, how many will score over 40 against Vanderbilt? I don't know. It depends. If they lay it on the ground like Missouri did, Kentucky won't score 40. Um, Florida will be right on the cusp. And, of course, Tennessee, if they – because it's Vanderbilt, because they – whatever, they'll, they'll, they'll pass 40 easily, I would think. 
he says, yeah, I'd seriously I expect all three games will be brutal losses. Is there any scenario in which Vanderbilt could win one of the three remaining games? Tennessee's not going to happen. Kentucky Kentucky oh. plays everybody close. I, I, do, I mean, Vanderbilt's not going to go up there and win, but if they played it 100 times, will they lose all 100? No. Um, Florida's another one. I think they had a better shot at Florida earlier in the year. Yeah, Richard. They do now. The Gators are getting better. Yeah, I mean, but they're and they're a ground first team. They run it really well. That's mm-hmm. not what gives Vanderbilt as big a problem, right? I mean, we're you know, we're having I, to squint to to find a path here. So, okay, let's see what's next. Um, this is a good one. Will we see Ken Seals play if AJ Swan doesn't return? Asks Godors ninety four. I think so. I think there's going to be scenarios where he needs to be in the game, where we have to throw the football from behind a couple of touchdowns. You know, I, I do. I think he'll play for whatever reason, whether it be God forbid an injury to Mike. Um, he's going to see some playing time in these last few games. And Arbor Door, do each of you still believe that Clark Lee might be the right coach for the job? Why or why not? I know he is. I don't, I don't even have a doubt about that. There's so many factors that have gone in that go into this besides being the head, what the head coach does. He can only do so much. And there's so many things that that university has to do. And we all know this. And like you said, James Franklin came in there where the cupboard was not there. Let me just begin to that. When you inherit some of the talent he had from Coach Johnson and Coach Caldwell's group, people can say what they want to say. I know I was there every day with them. I was there at 4 in the morning when Trent Sherfield, who is now a, a legitimate part of the Miami offense, was on the jugs machine every day at 4.30 in the morning getting better. Vander, he inherited talent. Whether they want to say it or not, he did. What he did, he took it to the next level with his intimidation, his hard work, whatever you want to call that. Did a great job. His strength program was fantastic. He did a great job with that. It can be done. Raiders 1967, Luke. Uh, Chris said that seeing freshman walk on defensive end Nick Rinaldi play significant timing at South Carolina speaks volumes about the talent deficit between Vandy and the rest of the league. I recall Chris mentioning last year that UConn was faster than Vanderbilt, uh, both things that I said. That is correct. With last year's team being the least talented you've seen, is it reasonable for anyone to expect Coach Lee to significantly change the talent level of Vanderbilt in only two years? Can you give your opinion on how long you will take it will take to reach a point where most of the starters for Vanderbilt are SEC caliber players? The only time, and this is speaking to my 50 years around the program, 40 years working there, the only time we've had equal talent to the – if we're talking about the top two or three teams, <clears throat> we've never had that, never. Now, we have had a defense that was as good as the top two or three teams. We have had a offense a couple of years that was as good as anybody's, but we've never had a team. And one side of the ball was very unbalanced. Does that make sense? Yeah. Secondly, to get to the level where we can be in the middle of the pack and be 
considered for bowls and be in that five to seven range, I think that's coming in two years. Okay, Raiders 67 again. You mentioned that Vanderbilt football was at its worst. You'd seen in every area, and you could measure that when Coach Lee arrived. I asked last week about recruiting practices by Coach Lee. Can you speak this week about the most significant changes you've seen or heard about outside of recruiting since his arrival? Well, there's a lot of little details that Clark had to clean up, as well as the big thing. The big things obviously haven't happened yet. We all know about that. But the little day-to-day stuff, that making sure that they've got everything they need, making sure that they, uh, you know, the nutrition is where it should be, uh, making sure their facilities that they do have are nice. Uh, I'll tell you just how far we've gone. This one I've never brought up before, Chris, and I don't know why it just came into my mind. It used to be, this is how athletic budget was. We had a 12-month, there's 12 months in a year. We had what was called a nine-month budget. When it came June the 1st, I was told, and everybody pretty much is told, don't spend another dime. We're out of money, okay? It even got so bad, and, and, and I hate bringing back up the negatives. I, please don't take this negative. I'm just showing you how far we have come. When, after a football game on a Saturday night, I would get there on Sunday morning because as equipment guys, you got a lot to work, a lot of work to do. I would get there before anybody. Walk in the locker room, the locker room's trashed from the night before because they didn't want to play the pay the cleaning people to come in until later on in the day when the tech before the team got there. So you didn't get the locker room clean till later, like late Sunday afternoon. You say that you're worried about the, the dollars and pinching the pennies that much. That you wouldn't even clean the kids' locker room. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just telling you how far. So little things like that, Clark cleaned up. I know. Uh, are you still there? Is your jaw on the? Floor? Yeah, I know. I'm. I'm still here. Um, I was. I was. Didn't know if you had anything to finish. Listen, Chris. You could go to the stadium, and it wasn't clean. They don't clean it for yeah. two days. Stuff. Yeah. Well, and, and that look that hit that hit all programs. I've heard of you know tennis coaches painting their own locker rooms because Vanderbilt wouldn't spring for it. They had the the Stallings mural up, you know, two years after Bryce Drew was there. I mean, it's you know, I, I do think yeah. that's gotten better. And then, listen, that's what I'm saying. All those things that were like that are now gone. And and I know you you think, well, gosh. You shouldn't even have to worry about those things. You're right. We shouldn't have. But that's just how neglected Vanderbilt athletes and Vanderbilt has been. I remember when I took James Franklin through our locker room when he first got there, I gave him the tour of the football end. And he's it's it's myself, him, and Dwight Galt and Brock Williams. We're walking through, and I hear him. He's not even talking to me. He's talking to Dwight. He goes, wow. This is like a neglected child. This place has been neglected. And it was a perfect way of putting it. He was correct. Okay, Chris. You there? Sorry I've been so emotional today. No, no, no. We're, we're good. I think okay. it's a good I think it's going to be a good thing for, for us. So. I think it's a really good thing. Okay. Okay. 
1967. Luke, what was your opinion on the uniforms? I thought they were great. I loved them. Absolutely loved them. First thing I said to my wife when we got seated, I said, gosh, I love these unis. I loved everything about them, helmet, everything. Um, in 1990, when I was my first year of being the head equipment manager, we had very similar uniforms when Watson Brown was there. They were very pretty generic, plain. They were solid black with gold numbers uh, and black helmets with Star V. It looked great. Okay, I hated them. What was I missing? I just if you don't like if you don't like simple, you wouldn't like it. To me, you know, nowadays there's just more flair to uniforms. There's more details, yeah. and I like the simple. I, I've always been a fan of Penn State and Alabama's uniforms, so that's just how, who I am. That's just you're going to need ten different opinions on it. Yeah, I I like simple just fine. I just thought they were too much black for me, but I think that's just a personal thing. So. That's Luke, this is from VU Wars. Can you provide any insights into how coaches have looked coming into Vanderbilt broken down by whether they had prior coaching experience? Things worked out well for Franklin, but he was highly exceptional. Mason clearly did, and Lee seems to be learning a lot on the fly. By contrast, guys like Lance Leipold have gone into Kansas where the relative talent gap within the league is just as tough as ours but succeeded. He's had great success as a program builder before. I, I think this, uh, and the, the Kansas thing's a good one because Leopold was considered for the Vanderbilt job. You, you, I'm, uh, can you hear me? Yes. I'm getting an incoming call. I'm sorry. Uh, I'll let it go. But I'm just saying, when, when Clark Clark didn't throw himself on the on the stake to come in here and, and do what James Franklin did, okay? It's not a three, four-year quick fix. Leopold would have done that, but Leopold would not have stayed. Now, could he have won a game or two more each year? Maybe because of some gimmicky offenses or some gimmicky defenses or some great, incredible speeches, whatever it may be. But what Clark envisions, and I think I hope, all Vanderbilt fans hope, is a program of consistent winning and consistent what you know what you're going to get out of Vanderbilt and an identity to Vanderbilt. That's what what Clark is going to do. He's going to have a program. That's what, when he talks about 10 years of success, he's not talking about waiting 10 years to win. He's talking about something that you can build. And then 10 years from now, you're going to be proud to know that every year you can expect Vanderbilt to win between five, seven, eight games. That's what I think. And maybe more, but I'm just saying that's what I, in my opinion, that's what I think. That's the difference. I think. Raiders 1967, Luke, can you please discuss the differences between a school like Kansas that's able to take 21 transfers and the significant transfer hurdles with which Coach Lee has to contend? Also, the significant admission requirement differences between a school like Vanderbilt and Kansas. Also, (laughs) the difficulty for Vanderbilt football finding a grad school program for a player that earns a degree at Vanderbilt with eligibility remaining or for a potential transfer Versus a school like Kansas, where it is so much easier. Well, I mean, again, you're talking about public and private schools and priorities, and Vanderbilt's never going to be that. I think we saw that with a our most successful program over there at Vanderbilt baseball. You know, we had several holes we could have probably filled, but Tim brought in uh, Shrek from Duke, and that's it. Now, maybe he tried others. I don't know, but he I, did. That's just the. Th- that's the way the Vanderbilt thing's going to be. It's not going to be 
we're not going to be like Ole Miss. <laughs> You're not going to invite 20 players to come in at Vanderbilt. It, it, you have to develop talent. It has to be that way. Now, you can do it basketball because there's not as many players needed. And I think Stackhouse has seen that bringing in Ansong and bringing in uh, Ezra Manjohn, who's going to be huge pieces to this team we're getting ready to watch tonight. So, well, you know, yeah, go ahead. Totally different, just totally different schools and philosophies. That's all it is. Well, and, and one of the pieces that they could have had um, will be playing against them tonight. Keontae Kennedy is at Memphis. Yes, My understanding yeah. is that, and I, I'm not, I'm not assigning fault here. I don't know what the kids' grades were or weren't, but my understanding is the reason he's at Memphis instead of Vanderbilt, or one of the one of the couple reasons is that he was kind of in admissions limbo. Uh did not know what his status was. I think pretty much knew he could get in at Memphis and that and some other things just made it an easier choice. Man, I, if I could tell you how many times I've heard that story on recruiting and frustration from coaches who say, golly. And, you know, you know, when you go to a place like Vanderbilt or a Wake or a Duke or whatever, there's going to be recruits lost because of that very reason. And I think, I don't want to speak for Daniel Deermeyer, but I think that's changing. I really do. Especially the grad school stuff. You know, Matt Ryan, who just hit a three-pointer the other night for the Lakers, and he could have come back and played another year at Vanderbilt. But, couldn't get into grad school for whatever reason. Yeah, I've heard that grad school is easier to deal with now over there, and, and I think they have cooperation on undergrad. I mean, I've said this before. I don't, I don't hold undergrad admissions, um, you know, as responsible for their lack of success or being unreasonable as other people might. I, I just, I don't think that's very much supported for the most part. Now, in the past, has time frame been an issue compared to other places yes um the 60 hour rule i brought that up before i think that that hurts them i know they've had some a kid or two that would have really helped them they could have gotten in but once you're past that sophomore status you start losing a lot of credits and vanderbilt's not by any stretch the only school that does this but that's just another thing sometimes you have a kid that's got the grades and he's been in three or four years of school and he's close to graduating says, Hey, if I come there, I'm, I'm starting over my last two years and kids just don't want to do that. If they value academics a lot of time and I don't blame them. Right. I agree. And let's be honest. You look at the top 20, let's take football. If you look at the top 25, top 30 teams in football, how many private institutions are in the top 25 and 30, two or three. So, you know, that's that's part of it. That's just part of being different and being unique and actually do, trying to do it, attempting to do it the right way. I defend Vanderbilt on that stuff. I don't, I don't want any Tom, Dick, and Harry to come through the door just try to win football games. I don't. I, I don't want that. If it, if it takes that, then I'll support something else. Bobby, two times, when can you tell on and off the field that a coach and staff and or players have moved on be it next game, next season, next job, et cetera. How many staffs and players have you seen do that? And can you tell us any stories as to why they said or how they left uh, without giving names? Absolutely. I, I like this question. From the player standpoint, I could tell because, as we mentioned before, I was Uncle Luke. So they, they knew they could say and pretty much do anything they wanted to in front of me. 
and it wasn't going to go any further unless it, unless I felt like it affected the team. But when when you walk through the locker room and there's a uh, there's no one in there talking, kids aren't having a good time. Uh, they come into the workouts and boom, they're out of there faster than they make your head spin. Then you know that the team's kind of not not into it anymore. They're, they there's too many other things advantage with the academics and so forth social life, whatever it may be, that they throw themselves into and football becomes secondary. From a coach's standpoint, I've seen this happen. And the best example I can tell you was Jerry DiNardo. Everyone knew, the team knew, that Jerry DiNardo was, had interviewed with LSU. He called off the practice the week of the Tennessee game. We were going to, I mean, think about this. You're going to ready to play your number one rival. We were five and five or four and Six at the time, one of the two. You're going into the everybody's excited. He does because Joe Dean called him and he was at LSU. He went to LSU to interview with Joe Dean during the week before we're playing Tennessee. Wow. So everyone knew that game. That's why we got beat 65 nothing. He called off practice? Yes. We didn't practice one day. And I was I'm thinking, why are we not what are we doing not break? Now, my memory's a little foggy on the weather conditions. Of course, we didn't have an indoor. There could have been some weather-related stuff, but Jerry was not in the building. He was not in the building. So, and, you know, why I got caught, I don't know. I have no idea what. I know why, where he was and what was going on. Joe Dean, the AD at the time, had called him and said, look, we got to have an answer now if you want to sell us your job. Okay, go doors ninety four. If you could bring in five SEC caliber transfers who could immediately help, what positions would they be? Another great question. First of all, about five defensive linemen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, absolutely. I mean, obviously, pass rushers. That's the first thing. But you also need, and the the good Vanderbilt or great Vanderbilt defense has always had this. You got to have one corner who is almost locked down, like a Casey Hayward, a Corey Chavis. A Fred Vinson, a Leonard Coleman. I'm going back. Jay Chesley, a safety. Ed Oaks, people like that. You got to have one of those in the secondary that you can at least lock down the boundary or have one side of the field you've got locked down. You can cover them one on one. Because of the talent difference, a lot of times, especially right now, if you don't have that, like you said earlier, and you, you made a great observation, it doesn't even matter sometimes if you're double teaming or not. Because the talent level right now is not where it should be. But if you've got one guy and you can shut down their best receiver, you, you, you can get kind of like what they did with Will Shepard, what South Carolina was able to do. Two more. Uh, VU and Georgia, do you think Coach Lee is properly using his personnel, such as why Seal's not playing and what happened to cause Rocco Griffin to leave? He seemed to be underutilized, and I understand his frustration. Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't have any knowledge of why Rocco left. Everything I've heard was he was a great kid. Uh, I don't think there was any issues with the coaches that I know of. It's just simply playing time, and it's simply the environment that we live in, the culture that we live in where kids, if they're not happy with their playing time, sometimes if they're listening to an aunt or an uncle that says, hey, man, we can get you into here starting tomorrow. You don't need to stay at Vanderbilt. They're gone. And, that, and unfortunately, that's just, where we live right now. Um, what was the other part of the question? Um, underutilizing personnel at any spots. Well, I think 
we have to play a lot of people because we got to get some experience of these freshmen, got to get them out there. So, yeah, um, uh, you know, there's two schools of thoughts on that. You keep your very best in until the fourth quarter and then their tongues are dragging or you substitute out and get gashed every once in a while. I don't know. So I, I, I'm not smart enough to know whether he's utilizing it correctly or not. Okay, last one from Forever Gold. Very worried about Swan, who could be a key to the future. That's two concussions in three weeks. Feels like potentially that could be an ongoing issue and worried that he may not be able to finish a college career. Have you seen other players have multiple concussions in a season and still have a productive career afterwards, or is this as big a sign or as bad a sign as it seems? Well, it's never a good sign, obviously. But I will tell you, a person who had a ton of concussions, I said ton, had several concussions at Vanderbilt and wound up still having a great NFL career was Hunter Hillenmeyer. So there's a perfect example of a guy who uh, went through that a lot. Now, that was back then, concussions were treated differently than they are now. Um, so I don't have any reference point on today's situation, but I do know that there's been multiple concussions on kids. And uh, even a guy like Casey Hayward, his one concussions, Casey had migraines. And a lot of times he'd have to go in, just sit in the dark at halftime and try to get the migraine during the game. So, you you know, nowadays with the concussion protocol, it's tougher and it could happen. But let's keep our fingers crossed that it doesn't. We're out of questions. Any parting thoughts before we end the show today? No, I... I don't want to apologize, but I do want to tell you if I got off the rails too much today, it's because I'm emotional today about it. I, uh, I know you, uh, you, you've asked me to do these podcasts because I'm honest about things. Sometimes I get crucified for that, but I'm, it's okay. I got broad shoulders. I'm all right with that. I just want everybody to know that bottom line is I'm, I'm getting ready to head to Memorial gym in a few hours. I'm excited about that for the kids. Uh, get the basketball season started off on a winning note. And I just hope, that everyone can put their frustrations aside. If you gotta, if you gotta uh, have one extra Jack Daniels or whatever it may be, go ahead and do that. But hang with us, hang with Clark, hang with what we're doing. I have all the confidence in the world in Deermeyer. Uh, I hope I have hear great things about the Board of Trust listening. So we have a chance, folks. Don't give up now. Think about it. All you've been through. Just hang right in there. We're going to be okay. Luke, thanks a bunch. Look forward to joining you again next Monday. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at vandysports.com. Follow me at chrislee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.